Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 140 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, I chat with the lovely, the hilarious Allie K. Campbell. Allie is a content creator, she is a mental health advocate, and on this episode, she walks us through her recovery journey to sobriety. We also talk about mental health, mental health issues and how they affect and influence your sobriety. This is such a fantastic episode, so let's get into it. Sober October, no booze November, don't drink December. Whatever month it is, give yourself a break. Head to a sobergirlsguide.com and sign up for the 30 Days to Gain Booze Free Challenge and see all that you have to gain by putting the bottle down. Through two daily exercises and daily emails delivered right to your inbox, you will have the inspiration, motivation, and education to make this the best 30 days of your life. Head to a sobergirlsguide.com now. Miss Allie Campbell, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Where are you in the world right now? I am in the lovely Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, It's about five minutes, 10 minutes away from Manhattan. So yeah, just in a big, in a big city. Fun. Um, I want to talk about all this like amazing work you're doing. Like, obviously I found you on TikTok, which I just, <laughs> I love your TikToks are so Thank good. You. Thank so you. funny. You have such a sarcastic way about you and I just love it. Um, and you're focusing a lot on ADHD and talking about all that good stuff. And yep. I want to, I, I really want to talk about, about that and what you're doing now, but I want to kind of rewind and go back to your pre-sobriety days and what that looks like and how it landed you in recovery. So if you could kind of tell us like, what was uh, Allie like before booze, like, or booze, like in her booze, yeah, days. <laughs> <laughs> 
Got it. Got it for sure. It's funny because I was actually, I don't think about this often. Yeah. About the person that I used to be before I um, stopped, stopped drinking and partying often. It's been almost like five years now at this point. And I think that sobriety and recovery has kind of just been like, I, I call it like the software that runs in the background of like the computer that is my life. Like, it's just so natural to me now that yeah. it's, but I need it to like, I need that person to be reminded to me because that's kind of where I can get into trouble and think like, oh, she's so far gone. Like she's so like, she's not even anywhere near, but like in reality, I was drinking and partying for way longer than I've been sober. I was drinking and, and using probably for over a decade. I started when I was, I think 12 or 13 years old and like right from the jump, it was problematic. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about that, that uh, romanticized relationship with alcohol, with partying, with drugs, where like they were having the time of their lives. And of course I've had moments like that. Um, sure. But the majority of the time that I spent drinking and drugging was like really awful, like really, really terrible. And um it just like brought in a lot of like chaos and destruction to my life. Um, mm. Even like the first, the first time that I drank at a party, um, I think I, I took 13 shots of Bacardi Raz. Oof. Meanwhile, I'm 16 years old. I'm like 105 pounds soaking wet. Um, and I immediately blacked out, um, got sent to the hospital, had to go to school the next day. Like it was oh. just bad from the start. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can imagine it getting worse from the first time (laughs) and then continuing for another 12 years, it was just more of the same. It was just constant, um, hospital visits, constant, um, blackouts, constant relational problems, Mm -hmm. um, legal issues. I got a DUI. It was just like, not you know that meme it's like I'm just straight up not having a good time like I was just straight up not having a good time like it was it was pretty bad so that was that was kind of what it was like for me it was just um one major catastrophe after the other but I wasn't an everyday drinker I wasn't physically addicted to alcohol I wasn't physically addicted to any drugs Mm-hmm. I was just stuck in a habit loop of doing this destructive thing because a, I didn't know any better. I didn't know what else to do. Um, and B, I was self-medicating a lot of the mental health issues that I hadn't dealt with for a very long time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you know, it sounds really bad. And you, like, when you're going through it, you're like, oh my God, like that was a lot of shit that I went through. Like, why would anyone in their right mind continue to do this? Right. Right. But you have to realize like there is something that you're getting out of it or we're getting out of it at the time. Right. There was some kind of like emotional connection or, or payoff, if you will. For sure. so, So yours, you would say was, you know, it was your way to cope with mental health, health issues. And yeah. what, what did that look like? So how did you get into recovery or how did you get sober? What was the turning point there? So, yeah, I definitely think that 
it, it, it's probably layered the reasons mm. that I was, I was doing that. I mean, it, it comes down to like where, where I grew up. Like it was a very, um, it was normalized drinking and partying, not only in the town that I grew up in, but also within my family, within my friend group. Like if anything, it was abnormal not to drink and party. So, um, that on top of any of the mental health stuff that was going on, um, it was just something that always seemed to be, it was in my life before I even had a chance, like way before I was 13, like my, both of my parents had issues with drugs and alcohol. So it was just something that was always a constant, but the mental health stuff definitely uh, took a front seat for a while. Mm-hmm. I would say that um, a lot of my drinking to begin with was me trying to self-medicate my OCD. Um, not even necessarily, I know a lot of people think OCD and they think of like people who are super tidy, people who color coordinate their socks. Like I don't even have any matching socks. (laughs) So like, that's, that's not my, that's out. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no. Um, the ADHD takes over for that one, but I had a lot of, um, obsessive thoughts that were just like, not even something I like sharing like on online because it's so um, distressing and like a lot of the time violent, like just terrible, terrible things that I had no actual like connection to, but they were just intrusive. And the only way that I could shut them down was by drinking. So Mm -hmm. it felt like something that was helping me when in reality it was really harming me. Um, And then you add yeah, like the impulsivity of ADHD, yeah. um, that, that desire to seek reward, seek dopamine. Um, and you just have like, <laughs> you have a TikToker in the making, I guess. Like it's just this awful cocktail of, of things that, that happen. But <clears throat> I didn't end up getting, truly getting sober until I was, 26. Although I think I, I tried, I started trying probably when I was like 19, when I got a DUI, I was court ordered to go to 12 step meetings. And I walked in there and was like, this is a fucking joke. (laughs) Like, I'm not doing this. I was already like a, like a punk, you know what I mean? Like I was already (laughs) just like a hard headed, like thought I was super tough, like just not here for the the God stuff, not here for any of it. Like I was just, this is, I, I actually ended up somehow lying my way out of even doing the whole program. Like I, I ended up, wow. Get, get it. Yeah. I mean, listen, if we're nothing, we're, we're resourceful <laughs> for nothing else. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> so I bullshitted my way out of it. Um, yeah. but it planted a seed for sure. It, okay. it definitely planted a seed for me. Um, and then, you know, what do you a couple think, years later, go ahead. What, what do you think were those seeds? Like, what do you, what did you like kind of take away? So I think it was the, the people in the meetings. Yeah. Um, there was this one guy who was leading it. He was this like really tall, like handsome strapping black man. And his energy was just so infectious. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I was not having anything of what, what was being said. 
Yeah. Like his energy was very appealing to me. Like the fact that he could say, I have eight years sober and I'm doing better than I have been my entire life. I've gotten this back. I've gotten this mm-hmm. back. I'm so at peace. Like these things that seemed so out of reach to me. Yeah. Um, and then this, this guy just speaking about all of that, I, I think that stuck in my head that there was maybe this, there was something better. Mm. So it, it kind of yeah. just stayed there. It wasn't ready to like get unleashed yet. Yeah. But... Fully form. Uh... <laughs> right. Yeah. In the deep. infant stages. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was that. And okay. I, I was in a relationship with um, a woman who was a recovering heroin addict okay. for about two years. Um, and meanwhile, I was actively using throughout the entire relationship, okay. not heroin, okay. <laughs> but other stuff. So yeah. I was actively using, drinking a ton during this relationship as I was projecting onto this person, drug testing her, making sure that she was staying clean, following her around to NA meetings. <laughs> this is wow. the insanity. Yep. Yeah. Like this uh-huh. is the insanity of it. And like at the time it seemed very normal, like totally normal thing to do. And like, yeah. now I look back on it and I'm like, girl, like take a seat. Like what are you, you're crazy. You know? Um, but you don't know when you're in it you're like in it it's been it feels so normal like the shit that I would even tell my mom that I was going through yeah she was like are you on an episode of the l word like what the fuck is happening in your life what is in the water in Los Angeles like oh my god (laughs) and I'm like "What, what are you talking about this is totally normal like everyone does this this is standard. no, no, <laughs> right. It, it's, it's weird. Like what we, what we see as normal, you know, yes. and years later when I eventually got sober, I remember like a sponsor of mine saying like normal is just a setting on a washing machine. And that stuck with me too. Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought this stuff was totally normal. It totally wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I was going to these meetings to make sure that she was there, I couldn't help, but like, listen to what they were saying. And I was mm. like, kind of seems like I might belong here. Uh, I weird. relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So especially when they would be like, um, I don't know if you've ever been to like an NA meeting, but they would say like, if you've if you've used or anything today, if you've been under the influence, like uh, we ask you to just like not speak and just listen. And every single time I couldn't speak because I was always fucked up. <laughs> so I was like, this is You had not no choice good. but to listen. Like you right, had no right. choice. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I had to look at it. Like, why am I fucked up every time I go to one of these meetings? Like, whoa, that's, it, it, it's weird. So it was weird, but it, but it wasn't, it was actually making a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so we stayed together for about two years and my drinking was just awful. I was just a very volatile person when I was drunk, totally different from the person I am when I'm sober. Um, very just erratic and scary to be honest. Um, 
And, you know, she gave me an ultimatum and said, like, if you don't get sober, if you don't try to get sober, then like the relationship is over. And I was like, that, that is what it took for me to finally consider sobriety to be a real option, which Mm -hmm. says a lot because it's like, I had been arrested. I had had health scares. I had been in the hospital for alcohol poisoning, getting my stomach pumped several times. Mm -hmm. But the thing that scares me the most is somebody leaving me. Like that is the most terrifying thing that would make me want to change my ways. So why do you think someone leaving you is so terrifying to you? I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm. These gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. It, it, it's this ongoing theme of, of codependency, like on top of the addictive issues, because a lot of the time they do go hand in hand. Yeah, um, they totally I've, do. I've had, you know, therapists and other people say to me, like, you're not, you're, you're addicted to people. Like you're, Mm. you're addicted to, to relational drama. And I I think that there's a lot of truth in that because the same way that a drug or alcohol can like light up your reward system, Mm. a person can do that too. Especially if the relationship is volatile, if it's chaotic, if it's push and pull, um, if you don't know when you're going to be loved or when you're going to get a fucking frying pan thrown at you, um, it's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, at least your brain and your body think so. So yeah. um, to someone else, it would be like terrifying and a huge red flag, not even a flag, right. a fucking banner of just red. Yeah. Six flags. Yeah. Yeah. yeah straight up. Yeah, put to someone who like gets off on that and is addicted to that. It's like, cool. This is comfortable. I know. I know this. I know this. Yes. Yes. It's like this is my uh, this is my playing ground. Like this is where I thrive. I thrive in chaos. Totally. Um, So yeah, I mean, she said, "Get sober, get out," and I said, "Okay, I'll get sober." We ended up breaking up anyway. Thank yeah. God it happened though, because I don't think anything else and historically speaking, nothing else had um, motivated me enough to enter the program and, and actually give sobriety a shot. So that was kind of the, the things leading up to me eventually doing it. And mm. I always say like the fact that I stayed sober through that breakup was just a statistical anomaly honestly, like I had used drugs and alcohol and just escapism in general to get through everything in my life that was uncomfortable since I was 13. And here I am 26 years old losing like the person I thought was the love of my life. I'm like alone in this new town. So I wasn't even near friends or family. 
And somehow I stay sober through that. It was just kind of like, that's kind of crazy. It's kind of like a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. So how, what was your method of getting sober? To start, I, I went into AA. So I was doing 12 steps for the first probably the first two years, actually. Um, I was doing that and I was like really deep in it, like really drinking the Kool-Aid. Like I had service commitments. I Mm -hmm. had a sponsor. I was just like totally like that traditionalist of, of people who, if somebody were to come up to me and be like, Oh, you know, like I used to have a drinking problem and now I don't before they even finished the sentence, I'd be like, you're an alcoholic in denial. And it's like, (laughs) now, now I'm the opposite of that. Like I'm very much open to different experiences, like the spectrum of sobriety. Um, but it was like a hard path getting here because like, once you're ingrained with that, like very dogmatic and black and white thinking for such a long time. Yeah. I don't think it's very probable to like get out of it. And that's not to say that I, I look down upon AA by any means. I actually no, credit no, no. it with saving my life. Like I, I don't think that I'd be alive if I had not done 12 step, but right. um, there comes a time and a place where you have to say like, is this still for me? Like, should I move on to something else? Like, can I follow my intuition now that I've had, this much time healing or in recovery or whatever it might be. And it took, you know, two or three years, but eventually I did get to that point where I wanted to seek alternative methods and see like what else was out there because I felt like my recovery had kind of plateaued. I I had relapsed after 11 months. I went to rehab. I was in a sober living in Atlantic city, which I don't know if you know anything about Atlantic city, but it's the strangest place that you can ever get sober. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's a strange place regardless of getting sober, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) Add that on top. Uh (laughs) Strange in general Uh and even more strange to stop using drugs and alcohol there of all places. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, I might as well have done it in Amsterdam. Yeah. So <laughs> it was it, it was that for a while. And then I I read this book by uh, Tommy Rosen called Recovery 2.0. Yeah. It took like a very holistic approach, um, nutrition, body movement. I I had eventually gotten my uh, yoga certification. So I was really big into that kind of stuff. Mm. And that was like where my path led me um, to more. Eastern uh, ideologies of recovery instead of focusing on like the alcohol or the drug or the people for that matter, it focused on the fact that we're all dealing with the human condition and we're all dealing with feelings of attachment. And at the end of the day, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of let that guide me. Um, throughout the rest of my recovery. And I've been, I've been sober ever since, ever since um, I left rehab. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. I love that. Yeah. I think different modalities are, are much needed, you know, different strokes. For, different for sure. Groups. For sure. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, you know, you touched on your, your mental health and mm-hmm. 
did you realize that you had um, like mental health conditions before you got sober or after? Was it like a chicken before the egg kind of situation? Like what kind of helped you identify those issues and like solve them or, or treat them? I think I definitely knew before getting sober. Okay. Um, I knew before ever getting drunk that there was something like different about me that uh-huh. I was, I was dealing with something that there was like something within me that felt uh, like different from the other kids around me. I was just really anxious. I was really insecure. I, I, mm. I, I didn't feel like I was picking up concepts the way that other people were, or that I communicated differently from the kids around me. And um, it made me feel stupid. It made me feel dumb. Like I, like I didn't get it. Like I just didn't get life. Um, which, you know, as I said, kind of led to a lot of the drinking and using because it was tough to deal with that stuff as a kid. And even growing up into a teenager, because that's already a terrible experience. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I had been throughout. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com ASGG today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com ASGG. When I first started getting sober, when I first started getting drunk and eventually when I first started getting sober, like in that, I don't know, 15 year period, um, Mm -hmm. I had been diagnosed and misdiagnosed with every combination of letters that you can think of. Um, it was wild. It was wild. Like just diagnosis after diagnosis, after diagnosis, I was on every friggin' medication that you can think of. Mm. Um, at one point when I was like, probably like in my early twenties, like I was on eight different pills. Like, how are you on that many pills a day? You know? And not that there's anything wrong with it, but it was just like, obviously something isn't adding up here. Like something's not working. Um, so the mental health stuff has always gone like very, very, hand in hand with, with my recovery. Okay. But it wasn't until I had enough time sober, um, that I had seen, uh, a psychiatrist and a therapist who are working together, which I feel like is 
very, very important for people who have like dual diagnosis stuff that you're not just seeing a psych or just seeing a therapist, like a team is at least more effective for me. Yeah. Um, that she sat me down, we had this really long intake and she was just like, who diagnosed you as bipolar? Like you have severe ADHD. Like, I don't know how this has been a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. And she was like, yeah, it it does. (laughs) And, and I think back to like, when I was probably like five or six years old, my mom had told me that she suspected that I had ADHD and she was too nervous to bring me to a doctor. So what she did was go to my like first grade teacher or something like that and said it. And the teacher basically said, you know, that's not something that little girls have. And, uh, she's just, she's just flighty. She's just flighty. You know, she's fine. She just isn't paying attention. She very, she very much dismissed it, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that ADHD is reserved for male species. Yeah, apparently, apparently it is. That's still like a major issue. Like people what? think of ADHD and they think of these like, like erratic little boys just like right. jumping up and down on their mom's bed and like throwing fucking like rocks at her. Like <laughs> that's not, that's not the only way yeah. people that it manifests in it, it, it can touch lots of other different walks of life. Um, Specifically for you, like as an adult, how does ADHD like manifest for you? Like, what does it look like for you, for anyone? Because I kind of, side note, uh, my friend, I thought he was joking at first. And he's like, dude, I think you might have ADHD. And I thought he was joking. And then I took like one of the tests online. I'm like, When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OSEAMalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. It was in the red. Let's just put it that way. Don't, don't you love that? Strong, strong sign. Strong. I'm like, new diagnosis. Ah, that's cute. I mean, but 
I don't know, beginning stages, just kind of interesting. Um, what, what does it look like for you? Because I'm sure there's so many misconceptions about like ADHD, like you're just like running around town, you're a hyper little chipmunk. Like, what does it actually look like in like for you personally? Yeah, no, there's definitely not a whole lot of hyper little chipmunk in me. It's more like very exhausted dead raccoon in my bed. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not like dead I'm raccoon. A different type of rodent. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do also want to like validate that that you're that you that you've been going through that or that you went through that or that it's like happening like later in life diagnosis for ADHD, especially people assigned female at birth is like super, super common now just because it, there's never been any attention on us even really having it in the first place. And there's been so yeah. much stigma around it and so much misunderstanding about what it looks like, what it feels like. So all, all these other people are being like, why does everyone have ADHD now? And it's like, no, dude, they probably had it their whole fucking life. Like yeah. they just didn't have the tools or the resources to even be able to put those pieces together yeah. until they're in their thirties. And like, can you imagine how validating that is first of all, and second of all, how kind of like bittersweet and sad it is to be like my entire life, I've been having this thing about me that's making everything essentially more difficult for me. Yeah. And I didn't know until just now, like totally. it's, it's tough. Um, yeah. But for me, it shows up as perpetual overwhelm to the point mm -hmm. where I'm, I can't do anything. Like I can't get myself to get up and go mm -hmm. and do it. And it's something as simple as like the dishes, like the dishes is a daily struggle for me. And yeah. a lot of what goes on with ADHD is it's a, it's a dopamine disorder and dopamine runs your, um, your motivation. So if you're lacking the thing that creates motivation, yeah. <laughs> um, it becomes very, very difficult to do like, um, rote tasks or things that aren't fun. Um, things yeah. that don't have this like intrinsic reward to it. And of course, to everyone else, it just looks like you're lazy and you don't feel totally. like doing the dishes because yes. nobody likes doing the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, no, I, my body is not letting me get up to do these dishes. Like I need to yeah. work around and I have to make these work around everything in my life has a workaround. everything. I have loopholes on loopholes. I have alarms. I have calendars. And it's like the the stigma that people with ADHD are lazy is so incorrect because we have to work so much harder to get the average thing done than a neurotypical person would have to do. If they want to do the dishes, they just get up and do them. I have to write that I have to do the dishes. I have to go on a fucking live stream on TikTok to make sure I'm body doubling with 65 people on the internet to make sure I do my dishes. I have to make sure that I eat a particular snack after the dishes. So my brain will start remembering that I get a reward after doing them. Like it's, yes. it's so much more work to do like very simple things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of overwhelm, a lot of, um, executive dysfunction issues, which is like, 
time. Time is very tough for me. Like I think that an hour is enough time <laughs> to <laughs> write four posts for my Instagram, uh, have a photo shoot, do my makeup, wash the dishes, do a live stream and somehow make it to my destination. That's 30 minutes away. Like, no, that's going to take all day. It's like, yeah. that will take one hour, 45 minutes at best. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> oh my God. So, yes. A lot of that. Um, planning is really, really hard. Planning is so hard. Um, understanding what is a priority and what is not. Mm. Before my, when I, the most recent time that I, I, I went to my psychiatrist and therapist, now for my ADHD, the reason I was like, I need to figure something out was because I was at the point where I'm a 30 year old woman and I'm waking up every day and I'm not getting out of bed because I can't decide whether or not I should brush my teeth or shower first. Like that is a very, mm -hmm. very simple decision. It shouldn't, it shouldn't even be a decision. It's just, you get up and do it. Right. But I'm over here being, you know, quote unquote, paralyzed by what's more important where do I start first like how what makes more sense yeah. um and yeah it's it's like oh. an, it's an everyday struggle and it's it's something that touches pretty much every every aspect of yeah. my life um but I would say definitely look out for those things like um feelings of perpetual overwhelm yeah. um having trouble planning, having trouble staying focused on, on one thing, especially if it's something that you don't necessarily have a, a whole lot of interest in, mm -hmm. um, abandoning projects like that is a killer for your self-esteem and your security and your trust in yourself because totally. you're like, well, I love doing this thing. So why can't I create that why can't I write that book that I want to write? Why can't I edit that video that I want to edit? Like, I don't understand yeah. because you've shown yourself over and over and over again, that when you try to sit down and do something, you're not going to finish it. So mm -hmm. you don't trust yourself anymore. So it's just yeah. like this, this blow to your, to your self-esteem and even your own intuition. Um, and it can be really tough to get past that. But yeah, I think the, the key is really finding appropriate treatment and like yeah. learning to work with your brain instead of against it. Like throw away all of the ideas you have about ever being like a normal person. <laughs> or like trying and to be in control. Yeah. 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 Cause there are some things that are going to be out of your control and there are ways that you can make your life easier and more manageable and yeah. less stressful um, you know, like building things around uh, a typical task, like putting, you know, feel good music on that, you know, gets your dopamine receptors like going when you have to do something that you don't like, like clean the house or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, that's a good idea. Yeah. I like that timers one. Yeah. It's really, really good too. Um, okay. I always, like I always reward myself with treats, even though like it's not Me the too. healthiest, but I'm like, okay, if we're going to go like drive like half an hour somewhere, like we can get a treat because this place is on the way. Like yes, I do the same thing. <laughs> I do the same thing. And then I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> 
I ordered um, three three ice cream sandwiches yesterday delivered to my apartment. And it was, yeah. I'm not having any regrets actually, because no. you know what? I needed the dopamine and now I have ice cream for the rest of the, probably the next day. <laughs> I hope. Like, uh, I was going to say like the rest of the next three hours. That would be right, for me. Right. Real. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ate like half of it in the middle of the night. So. Oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So finding those little, like, you know, those workarounds, like working with yourself, um, all, of course, finding a good doctor is like helping, you know, yeah. get people to help you and actually diagnose you correctly. Um, with your, you know, with being diagnosed or misdiagnosed, I should say multiple times, was it scary for you to go see different like doctors or were you just, kind of expecting the worst like how did you keep trudging forward and trying to get answers and solutions Mm, that's a really good question I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before because it's frustrating like even with a therapist yeah oh I didn't like them so they're they never do therapy again right right right. yeah I think if I'm being honest like part of it part of it was like I was very much like a doctor shopper in my addiction. So there was a lot of, while a, a, a big part of it was because I genuinely wanted help. There was another part of it that was like, I'm going to get the goods from this person. So like I had motivation to go to doctors. Okay. Um, but on top of that, despite the ADHD, despite like my Libra son, despite like all the shit I had been through, like I am somebody who is um very resilient so I think that that helped me in not wanting to like give up um with on my mental health because you're right like after so many years of being in the mental health system and just kind of be met being met with like misdiagnoses like untrustworthy uh you know, physicians and, and all things like that. Um, yeah. it would have made a lot of sense for me to just like give up and say, fuck it. Like why, why even bother anymore? But I knew deep down that like, again, like full circle, that there was something better. Yeah. Um, and that I could be living a happier life if I can just figure out what the fuck is going on and get a better handle on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, so if you're, if you're going through that process, first of all, I have like so much love for you. Um, I would say just try and try and stick it out, you know, um, do the best you can to just it misdiagnosis is, is super common. It's super, super common. And although I was being treated a lot of the time for maybe things that weren't like necessary, a lot of that therapy still helped me. Like yeah. the the therapy that I was in for borderline personality disorder, which I was also diagnosed with, um, was the most helpful therapy I've ever had in my life. So wow. it's not to say, yeah, yeah. Dia- uh, dialectic behavioral therapy. Okay. Um, so it's not to say that like, just because you're going through it right now, that like none of this is going to be helpful. Like it's yeah. still going to the journey is more important than the destination, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Totally. Yes. Well yeah. put. Yeah. Thank Everything, you. every, every kind of little piece and 
bit we get along the way helps us in some way or another, I think. For sure. I agree. Yeah. Okay. I have one more question for anyone listening who is maybe thinking about getting sober or going through their sobriety right now, and maybe it's a rough patch. What piece of advice could you give to someone listening? I would say, um, kind of like back to the chicken and egg thing that we were talking about. Yeah. I would say if you're not at this point focusing on any of the potential mental health stuff that's going on, because I am of the belief that addiction, substance use is a symptom of something else. Yeah. Um, start that journey as well. Like the sooner you start it, the better. Um, start thinking about talking to a therapist, start thinking about talking to um, a psychiatrist, somebody who can like hold that space for you and talk about the reasons that, you know, you were drinking or using Mm -hmm. um, or the reasons you're struggling in your sobriety now so that you can get to know yourself better and have a better chance at not repeating things that had happened in the past. I'm a big advocate for, for dealing with your mental health first. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Or alongside. Yeah. I mean, definitely dealing with your mental health when you're sober, it makes it a little bit easier, you know, taking away, away um, any kind of substances really kind of allows you, your true person to like shine through and then you can like then address and go from there. Because a lot of like, like alcohol totally messes with your like emotions and your, and especially for yeah. women, like hormones, like I was a lunatic. Same. Straight yeah. Up. Like yeah. I thought every day it felt like I was like on my period or going to get my period. Like my hormones were just like, like jacked. It screws with us. It screws yeah. with our body, our mind, yeah. like our soul. It, yeah, it does. It does crazy fucking damage. And I yeah. mean, it's it, yeah, it's way better to like start dealing with your mental health. Like after you have sobriety or you're looking into sobriety. However, it's also important to note that like, there's going to be a period where it's going to feel worse. I think, I think because you're like dealing with all those feelings that you've been blunting for so long. Totally. Um, but yeah. in the long run, totally worth it. Yeah. Totally worth it. Absolutely. You got to go through it. Yep. Oh, show. Awesome. Thank you, Allie, so much for chatting and showing, uh, sharing your experience and knowledge. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. How fantastic is Allie? I love how open and vulnerable she was, especially with mental health issues. It's not easy. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and comment. We love to hear your feedback about the podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Sober Girls Guide. And don't forget about the blog. Head to asobergirlsguide.com to get the latest how-tos, tips, and tricks for any stage of your recovery. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.